0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Mike Barber, Virginia, an ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He joins us on the Smart Rain Guest Line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out the Best State Award winner, Smart Rain, at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, DJ.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. So, PK and I have both been here and doing this long enough that we were here before Bronco was the defensive coordinator and before Bronco was the head coach. And now we're here for his return. And everything we know about Bronco says that he really didn't like this week. Has he made it clear he doesn't like this week, or is he playing along with all the BYU questions?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys remember he made it clear when he took the UVA job yeah. that he didn't want to play this game. They got it pushed back. Um, he was not kidding, like I think people took it as hyperbole when he said at the time, "I hope they push this game back until i 'm done coaching." he wasn 't kidding um, he, he knew there was a contract, and he was hoping that when he retired or left or whatever that they could play the game then um, he 's very uncomfortable with it. Um, he has a, a a very genuine affinity for b y u that I think he goes beyond what most coaches have for their former programs right? Because it's not just about, yeah, he knows some guys on the staff, and yeah, there's a couple players that, that he was still involved in recruiting. Um, it's not that. It's it's the school, it's the place, um, it's what it meant to him, it's how it, it kind of fit with who he wants to be as a coach. Um, this is a very emotional week for him. His assistants, we were told flat out when we went out to practice Tuesday, hey, they're not going to take questions about this. They're not going down that road. They, they don't want to get caught up in memory lane they're trying to focus on their job this is a very emotionally charged week i think for the staff
2: yeah Mike, might give you an idea how long we've been around i used to i spent 14 years at the salt lake tribune and i covered kelly Papinga as a player so <laughs> we, we, we go we go back with these guys and you know i've, I've known an eye for many many years and all that stuff so from a distance. We watch, at least I do. I think we all do here. We watch Virginia. You know, we're not watching them every day like you are, but you know, we keep track of them. And so far, the the thing that sticks out to my mind obviously is the incredible passing numbers. And then somehow, Bronco has managed to have two opposing kickers miss field goals at the end. And I don't know. I don't know how he's done it, but uh, you know, they've they've got this winning streak. They're six and two but it seems like it's a little bit of a razor-thin margin there between being 6-2 and two and being something else.
1: Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And, and you know, they uh, those two games that they won with their amazing field goal defense, and I'm <laughs> kidding, it was just <laughs> shanks by the opponent, but you know, two different styles of game. Miami, they came out and played really, really well, and then it felt like they kind of ran out of gas, and, and here was Miami coming back, and they held on for that one. Louisville, I mean, they got pretty well smoked in, in the third quarter there and, and um, it looked like they were going to get blown out and then they manufactured a, a fantastic comeback um, that would have been for naught if the field goal goes through for the opponent so um, yeah you've had some some wild ones you've had some things about this team that are still questionable uh, they give up a ton of big plays defensively very unBronco. but that's a it's a thing. For the last two years, really, that they've given up these 35-yard and longer uh, scoring plays, passing plays, running plays. It's coming all over. Um, it, it's a very interesting team. I believe they're very good, but they're not perfect, <laughs> and and there are many areas they present as being beatable.
0: So, is there a common link with these big plays? They they miss tackles. They're not athletic enough, and guys are running past him. Uh... Can you draw a line and connect all these? They
1: they insist that it's missed assignments, and and they keep saying, and and I mean, maybe that's right, but it's not worth anything. They keep saying, like, hey, on the long touchdowns, 10 guys are in the right spot and one's in the wrong spot. And, you know, they keep repeating that the ball always finds you if you make a mistake. Um, And that's all well and good. I guess that means it's, it's easier to fix if it's so few, but they're still happening right? They were happening just in droves going into the Duke game. Then they shut out Duke, and I think people were maybe a little quick to be like, okay, they fixed all their problems. Well, they were playing Duke. Duke's terrible. I mean, Duke's a rolling train wreck right now. So I think that was a little bit of fool's gold. And and then we saw in this past game, Georgia Tech, even though they played better than the final score indicated, um, they won that game more decisively than, than 48-40 might tell you. But they gave up three long touchdowns in that game. So... Um yeah, you can say it's just a misassignment here or a misassignment there. Well, you better stop missing assignments or you're going to start losing football games.
2: I read a piece that you had in the paper talking about, you know, just how good is this team? Just how good is Armstrong the quarterback? He's got the 3200 passing yards. I think that's best in the country and all that stuff. But I believe you even I, I know you did cuz I read it. You asked, you, know, you basically asked in the piece, you know, is it is it he, is he this good or how much of a is it a product of the schedule because they've beaten four uh, teams that have losing records and against teams that are 500 or better they're two and two and interestingly enough I mean they've got a tough stretch coming up with BYU Notre Dame and Pittsburgh right Notre Dame or BYU got back in the rankings so I know they got a buy in there too but uh, they got three ranked opponents coming up. So basically the question being, all right, how good is this passing game? It's got incredible numbers, but against good competition, what do you think is going to happen?
1: Yeah, and I wrote that because I think it's a very fair question. Now, having watched Armstrong very closely, I think he's the real deal. Um, You know, a year ago he had the big arm, he had good accuracy on his deep ball, um, but he was kind of a, a rookie to the offense, And you could tell he'd go for one or two progressions, and then he'd tuck the ball and run. And it's going to sound funny when you guys hear me say this, but he hurt his knee in the Illinois game, and he's had to kind of take it down a notch in terms of how often he runs the football. And I think it's really helped him because, man, he gets through three, four, five progressions. He can go through his reads so quickly because he doesn't have in the back of his mind, okay, one, two, and go. He knows he doesn't want to take off running, and he has been making his way through those reads. He's just, he's really mastered the offense. So I think this stretch, now I don't know how Virginia is going to do in this three-game stretch, but I think that Brennan Armstrong's passing numbers are still going to be remarkable. I think he's going to be able to throw for 300 yards a game against these better teams. Um, I think people are going to really realize that this passing attack is legitimate. Um, the defense we talked about. I think there are going to be some problems in this stretch because of that defense. But I, I think Brendan Armstrong is the real deal. I think it's fair to question it because of who they've played. But I think he's going to, um, I think he's going to prove himself here on this bigger stage the next three games.
0: So are there receivers who are big time problems as far as physical matchups? Are these guys mostly detailed route runners and they get themselves open and it's about the quarterback? What what is driving this?
1: No, there's a good mix there, it's a good question. And, you know, it's funny. I told somebody the other day, it it feels like Virginia had seven or eight guys that you thought, man, one or two of these guys might be great this year. And so far, every one of them has been. And I don't know if they're overachieving or if they're achieving to their capability. But you look at Keaton Thompson, the transfer quarterback from Mississippi State, he has become just a, a really unstoppable weapon as a wide receiver running back Uh, slash-type player. Um, He's great catching the football. He runs great routes. But, guys, the thing with him is he never goes down on first contact. I mean, he catches a pass, and he's dragging defenders, breaking tackles. Um, He's just been a phenomenal weapon. Their best receiver right now, Dontavian Wicks, he was a young guy with a lot of speed. He missed last year because of an injury, and their real number one receiver suffered a knee injury in the spring. They don't have him. And everyone said, okay, can Wicks fill in for Lavelle Davis Jr.? Well, Wicks has been outstanding as a big play guy, uh, take the top off the defense. Then you have Billy Kemp, um, a tiny little slot receiver who runs great routes and who always seems to be open, uh, especially on third down. Uh, he's got good speed, too. Um, and then Jelani Woods, the, the really massive tight end transfer from Oklahoma State. Um, he gives them a big target over the middle. Uh, if you cover him one-on-one, He's going to catch a ball, right? Brennan is accurate enough that he can put back shoulder or put the ball up high, wherever he needs to, and Jelani Woods is going to come down with it. So, and those are four guys right there that could be the focal point of your passing game, uh, each one of them, and they've got all four right now playing at a high level.
2: BYU has this running back, Algier, you know, 32 carries, 190 yards, I think it was last week, against Washington State. With Virginia's ability to move up and down the field very quickly through the air, do you think that uh, BYU would be maybe looking toward, toward, toward having a better ground game so they can eat up some clock and keep that offense off the field? And if so, how is the defense against the run for Virginia?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, a good point. If it were me, that's what I would do. I would try to hold on to the football. Now, the problem is twofold. Virginia's run defense, when it's not making a mistake, has been very stout. Now, so they're hard to run on until they make a mistake. And I think what we've seen is some teams, I'm thinking about Wake Forest, that really were like, okay, we're going to hold the football and we're going to work our way up and down the field. And a few times, plays just popped, and they scored maybe quicker than they wanted to. Um, Obviously, you're not going to give back the seven points. Um, It is going to be the interesting matchup in this game. I think if you're BYU, you want to try to do the Wake Forest game plan. Uh, You want to throw some underneath passes. You want to run the football effectively. um, You want to keep your offense on the field, keep your defense fresh. And then I think when Armstrong's out there in that offense, you know what teams have been doing, guys, is They've been mixing up their defenses a lot more than their identity. Uh, Robert and I said this to me the other day um, about Georgia Tech. Because Virginia's been so prolific throwing the football, teams are abandoning their tendencies and what they want to do, and they're just trying to mix things up to confuse Brennan Armstrong, uh, to confuse Robert and I, to, to make it a different look than what they've prepared for. And uh, that's a double-edged sword because, on the one hand, if it works, great. You confuse the other team. On the other hand, it means you're getting away from your bread and butter and what you're comfortable doing. Um, it hasn't worked out great for teams, but that is what we've seen. We've seen teams kind of abandon their identity to try to throw a curveball to this Virginia offense.
0: So there's a, a weird thing here that over the last couple of years, uh, BYU has played a lot of, well, maybe even more than that, but they've played a lot of drop eight, rush three. And for whatever reason, it gets under the fan base's skin. I don't completely understand it. It's worked. They've won a lot of games. They've beaten USC and Tennessee and gone 11-1 and and blown out Boise State and all kinds of stuff. But nonetheless, people complain about it a lot. But I'm curious if there's any point in going after Armstrong because if you're throwing for 400 yards, I'm thinking people haven't been able to pressure him between protection and quick throws. Going after him probably isn't the percentage play, is it?
1: I agree. And, and the thing that fans are looking at is it's a lot sexier on third and seven. If you sack the opposing quarterback, then you just force an incompletion or a throwaway. But if you're a football coach, you don't care, right? You want, you want the stop. You want that third down conversion stopped. Um, so I get it. You know, fans love the blitz. It's exotic. Get after guy, get him on the ground. And certainly disrupting Brendan Armstrong is the way to go. But I think you're right. That you know The thing with the, the blitz is it's a little feast or famine. And Armstrong has been so good, and he's got so many good receivers, that if you come after him and you don't get him, that's going to be a big play. So to me, the smart play is, yeah, you might rush four or five occasionally, but for the most part, you want to drop guys in coverage. You want to change up uh, what you're doing, where the help is, um, and you just want to make it hard for him to throw the ball downfield. You want to keep everything in front of you, right? It sounds like the boring prevent defense you play at the end of a game. But really, that's what you want to do. You want to make them earn it up and down the field. And um, I think they're capable. But this hasn't been a great run game. Uh, When they run the ball, they do it with Brendan Armstrong, who's getting healthier. They do it with Keaton Thompson on on jet sweeps and direct snaps. They haven't been a great traditional running back run game team. Um, That's the way to me that I would approach defending them.
2: Last several years, the ACC, we think it's Clemson, right, and they've been the big dog and deservedly so. Well, they're not this year, but the conference has the one undefeated team at seven and zero. Wake Forest, be it they're only ranked what thirteenth, and you look at their schedule, and I don't think they have a ranked team that they've played, nor right now, anyway. Uh, The rest of the way, there's a ranked team because I think Carolina's been a disappointment and Clemson obviously isn't up to snuff the way they usually be. So going big picture as far as a potential playoff and an undefeated Wake Forest team, if that should happen, how do you think they fit in the mix?
1: Yeah, I I don't think they do. Um, And and I think Wake Forest has done a really great job building up their program. Uh, Dave Clawson kind of got his start. He was a 1AA a coach at Richmond, so we all know uh, Dave Clawson real well. He's an excellent coach. They, they've built up their program. They've beaten the teams on their schedule. But, yeah, you look at that schedule, and, and who do they end with? I think it's Duke, Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. I think they could very well go undefeated. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoff. And, um, that's rough. I guess the exception being, if Pittsburgh really keeps it together and, and, and runs the table from here. So if it's a one loss Pittsburgh against an undefeated Wake Forest and Wake Forest beats them convincingly in the ACC title game um, and other things happen in their favor, uh, but it's a down year in the ACC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it isn't just about Clemson slipping. It's about nobody else being ready to pick up that place, right? You know, So Clemson's down this year. Is there another team that's stepping up and, and really wowing you and You could say Wake Forest, and maybe if Wake Forest knew what was coming, they would have had a better non-conference schedule. But um, I'm trying to remember: Old Dominion, Norfolk. Obviously, they just played uh, Army, um, and I'm trying to think of who. Oh, and their North Carolina game this year is actually a non-conference. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't fill out their schedule. So maybe if they knew, hey, they were going to be seven and zero, that they would try to drop in a a better Power Five opponent somewhere in there. But Um, It's going to be hard for the ACC. They're going to need a lot of help from the the Big Ten and the SEC kind of eating their own here down the stretch.
0: So Virginia does come west more than I thought, but they don't usually win. Uh, They might have a win at Boise State maybe. They've got the one at BYU 20-plus years ago. But, man, they've gone to Wyoming and lost to TCU and Oregon and SC. Are they doing anything special or unusual for this or addressing this? Or it's a football game and it's 8.15 and we're going to show up and be there and put hat on hat?
1: <laughs> well, certainly that's the answers we get. The reality, though, guys, is a lot of those losses out West, Virginia stunk. They were a bad football team. <laughs> I think, it, I know that's sort of simplifying it. Yeah. Um, but those were some bad Virginia teams that went out and lost to Oregon and UCLA and all those games. This is a, a pretty good Virginia team. So I think if you're this Virginia team and Bronco, because he hasn't been uh, out west or certainly back to BYU, um, I-, I think you just look at it and say, hey, we're a good football team. We can win anywhere. Now there's questions, and the guys have been asked this week, about the altitude. Is the altitude going to be an issue? The late kickoff, because it's 10:15 is that going to be an issue? And-, and they say the right things, but the reality is we don't know. Um, they may get out there and find the first quarter they have trouble with the altitude. They may find in the fourth quarter that it catches up with them. Uh, they may find that with the late start, they get off to a sloppy beginning. I think we're going to know a lot in the first few drives is Ken Virginia. They don't have to play great in the first few drives, but they have to make sure they're not down 14 nothing. right? Get your legs under you. Get used to where you are. Understand, hey, you're in a real game because it's a step up in, I think, the competition level. Uh, I think the end of the first quarter – We're going to know a lot of the answers to these questions we've been talking about. Um, And at that point, though, you're in the fire.
2: Before we let you go, Mike, I have just been told that you're a brother. you got some Jersey blood in you. I'm a Jersey native, my friend. It is so good to talk to you.
1: Where where are you from?
2: Morris County, brother.
1: Yeah, so I'm from up north in Bergen County, and I went to Rutgers. I started my career at Star-Ledger in Newark. Uh, so yeah, Jersey boy through and through. And,
2: yeah,
1: uh, I moved down to Virginia, and down to Virginia in 2002, and um, still miss it, and still try to keep up with Rutgers, but they don't really give me a whole lot to cheer for.
2: There's nothing like tailored ham in the morning. Is that true?
1: There you go, tailored ham, egg and cheese with salt, pepper, and ketchup. <laughs>
2: I'm from San Diego, and I don't know what you
0: people are talking about, but I don't think I want to eat that.
1: Well, you guys are going to have to take a road trip there, maybe BYU, Rutgers, at some point.
2: Oh, that'd be awesome! Some, uh, oh, sure, yeah. Born, yeah. born and raised in Jersey myself, born in uh, Orange, and then moved up to Persephone. Uh Yeah, man, I mean, I, I just, I knew, I knew, I could tell. The, the way you were talking, you had to have some East Coast blood. And then I find out, not, not just East Coast, but it's actually the hub of the East Coast, Jersey. Man. Right there, it is so like we, good. To
1: like we like to claim. Yeah, like, we like to claim the the center of the East Coast. People think it's New York. It's really Jersey. Of course, it's Stop. Jersey,
2: man. Yeah. It's Frank Sinatra. Uh, it's John Bon Jovi. It's Bruce Springsteen. Queen Latifah. Dana Owens. You name it, brother. <laughs> Hey, all, all you
1: need to know is that New York City has two pro football teams, yeah. and they both play in New Jersey.
2: Of course. Of course they do. And Zach Wilson's going to go on to him, a Draper Utah kid in Jersey. Well Mike you were a really good guest until right at the
0: end but yeah I think it slipped I think your game slipped there at the end Mike Yeah some you had some good info but then you got Yeah you were you were, you had some good info and then you got lost in the Jersey swamp there at the end Oh no, no,
2: no man he he was born again in the Jersey swamps in the Jersey shore you name it man Jersey boys we're Jersey boys shut up I love it. Next time I
0: come on, you'll have to play some Springstream as my intro. There you uh, go, man. <laughs>
2: Down to the river. Tramps like us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and apparently...
2: This from Bergen County.
0: Still a Jersey kid.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: he was like, he was so Jersey that he didn't even want to give you credit for. Listen, you're in Utah. I don't know if you're Jersey. Let's find out where you're from. <laughs> well, okay? everybody. And will and as add. soon as he
2: said that, like, okay. And you, all, you always say you'll say first. You'll say the county, and then if they're from the same county, then you'll then get you, a little you Then you, you go. Then you sure.
0: drill a little deeper to find out yeah. the town or right. the school.
2: Now, and there's a difference between north and south. Bergen is north. New York, there's New York Jersey, and there's Philly Jersey. And that's a big difference, even though it shouldn't seem it. But it's well, like but you're it. not even from the same state, even though you are. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Lincoln Kennedy, his
0: weekly visit, Raider Radio Analyst, five and two, tied. Not just. Not just battling for a division lead now. Now they're tied for the best record in the AFC. We'll talk with Lincoln about the Raiders and get his picks on the Pac-12 games this weekend. See where he thinks these games are headed. Utah and UCLA among the big games. Although ASU's got a big game, too. We'll talk with Lincoln Kennedy next. Stay with us.